everyone. Welcome to the Engage and Equip podcast. I'm Ashlyn Phelps, the Communications Coordinator at High Point Church. Due to the ongoing coronavirus situation, we're hoping to release more podcast episodes than usual in the weeks to come. In this episode, you'll hear from Nick Gibson, our lead pastor, and Jill Reese, who is on staff, as they talk about the necessity to fight for devotional time, especially in the midst of the COVID-19 pandemic, and give some tips for how to be disciplined, even in a season of social isolation and quarantine, lack of normal structures, and creeping feelings of uncertainty and fear. To help you in your devotional time, we'll be releasing a devotional plan soon, and the content that Nick and Jill talk about in this episode will be released on our blog at hpcmadison.com over the next four days. We hope you enjoyed this episode, and if you have any questions or feedback, send us an email at podcast at highpointchurch.org. Thanks for listening. Hey, everyone. Uh, welcome to the Engage and Equip podcast. I am Jill Reese. I'm here with lead pastor Nick Gibson. We are currently in quarantine because of the coronavirus. Yeah. <laughs> and I have my child with me. Her name's Jovi, so she might cry. She might guest star at some point. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So one of the things we decided to talk about is that being uh, cooped up in quarantine is actually a great time to start to think about um, doing spiritual devotions, a time of reading the Bible, praying, and seeking to grow in our devotion to God. Yeah. Yeah. And so we want to start a some more devotional um, content for you, but for now we're just going to talk about the why behind it and some tips for how to do that well. Mm -hmm. And we've got a lot of time not to waste right now. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Nick, in your sermon on Sunday, that reminded me, you talked about how it's easy to divert ourselves right now, but we need to press into devotion. Yeah. The most essential thing right now being cooped up in your house is to turn on the magic rectangle that makes you happy and just blow through whatever shows you haven't watched or would care to watch again. And that would be a really sad use of this time. Um, Mm -hmm. And I think that it's important to take at least a significant portion of this time when we're cooped up in quarantine and to try to really use it for something good. Mm -hmm. Yeah. All right. So let's jump in to some of these things. Um, So first of all, uh, this is a discipline devotion is a discipline and it's a practice and method. Um, And so that's how you go about it. Nick, could you talk a little bit about some of those things? Yeah. I think the most important thing to recognize is that the hardest thing to overcome, the biggest obstacle is just doing a devotional, a devotional practice rather than not doing it. Just making yourself doing it, do it is just the biggest and most difficult part. Um, Setting aside time, ignoring the urgent thing, sitting down, finding a quiet place, opening your Bible, getting a moderately stimulating beverage, whatever it is you need to do to actually sit down and actually do the devotions is the hardest thing. I think sometimes people think that that's the easiest thing, that if they just would, you know, well, yeah, I'll do all this to sit down and have the devotional time. And that's the easiest part. Then it just gets harder from there. And that's actually not true. The hardest thing is to turn away from the urgent and to actually find a quiet place, get down, get ready and go. Once you actually open up the Bible and begin to read it and seek God, it's actually not that, that's not the hardest part. The hardest part is mm-hmm. to stop your life and to do the devotional time. Mm-hmm. What are some of the obstacles that we might face in trying to do that? Because that sounds pretty easy to just sit right. down and do it. So why don't we right. do it? So in the pre-blog we wrote together, um, I outlined three things. The, the first is just escaping the urgent. 
there's always going to be stuff that we're supposed to do right now and that we can do right this minute. And we have to escape that for what's needful, which is the thing that we, to become the kind of person we have to be in all of the urgent things that are going to make up our lives. Because otherwise we become a more depleted, weaker, shallower, thinner, more brittle self in all the urgent things happening in our lives, rather than becoming the more well-formed, God-oriented, full of faith, substantive disciple for all the urgent things we're going to face in our life as our day goes on. Mm-hmm. And so I think the first is we have to say, and, and one of the reasons why it's impo- it's hard to say no to the urgent is because mm-hmm. people will approve of you if you do the urgent thing and you will approve mm-hmm. of yourself because it mm-hmm. feels productive and it pleases others. And to mm-hmm. say, I'm not going to do this, I'm going to do something else is not pleasing. And for some people, I think especially for women, oftentimes it is your kids are the most urgent thing. And to tell your kid, what John Roseman recommends parents say, um, I'm not a mommy right now. You don't need a mommy right now, and I'm not going to be one. Right? Is mm-hmm. is in telling your kids to go away nicely like that is really important, a really important part of parenting if you want to, have, want to have any sanity and if you are going to engage in the discipline of having spiritual devotions. Mm-hmm. I think this urgency um, point is really important now when we're all stuck in the house together (laughs) and no one's at work because everything I've noticed in my own life that everything is all blurred together. Uh, Like, Mm -hmm. I mean, work is sort of all the time right now and because we're all trying to restructure everything. And it's easy for me in the urgent moment to even just turn on a show for my kids to just be distracted by, which is Mm -hmm. teaching them distraction too. Mm -hmm. And so the urgent right now feels really, uh, extremely palpable, Mm -hmm. even more so than normal to me, at least. Yeah. Yeah. And if you tend to your kids, especially, they'll give you good feedback. And if you don't, they'll give you very negative feedback. Mm -hmm. And you have to just be like, I'm not, I'm not doing this, Mm -hmm. you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So the second obstacle we talked about is that our bodies and our experience of ourselves as a body people is that our flesh or our habits or our just our flat, our nervous system is just, we want to do the easiest thing. And, and that's just not workable. Like you have to tell your body, like you're, you, we all have these natural urges to do what's easy and what takes the least amount of energy. And Mm -hmm. so um, we want to eat more. We want to watch TV. We want to not get out of bed. We want to have as warm a shower as possible. We want like all these things to make our life easy and not hard. And all the things that make us grow and really harness our potential are things that our, our nervous system doesn't want us to do because our nervous system is kind of designed to conserve energy, not use energy. And our flesh, that is the, the sinful effect on our, on our physical body and existence, is to do what simply pleases us rather than what is good for us. And those two things together make it hard to overcome the basic desire to not do the hard thing. And so overcoming the flesh and habit and our nervous system literally Mm -hmm. has to happen in order for us to do what we know in our conscious mind is the right Mm -hmm. thing. And Mm -hmm. I mean, I've, I've talked about this before. We're like, if I don't go running for a couple of weeks and that's the kind of exercising I need to do and I go out and I start running, I start hearing reasons in my mind about why I don't need to run like a hundred yards into my run. Like, well, that was good. We can stop now. And like, I don't really need to do this. And I bet if I went a half mile, that would be just as good as going a mile. I mean, it just, it gets the blood flowing. Right. And, 
Um, it, it'll it'll have the effect on my concentration I needed to have. And like I come up with all these reasons, and then my I have these urges in my physical body to just stop running, just stop running, just stop. Mm-hmm. I want to just. It, it feels like there's like this immediate urge and then there's this like it invades my reasoning. There's all these ways in which my body is just rebelling against running. And you're like, well, why would it do that? Running is good for my body. But that's just really not how your body is programmed to work, nor mm-hmm. how the flesh as it functions in its sinful expression functions either. Your body mm-hmm. wants to conserve energy and the flesh doesn't want to do anything hard. And in order to do devotions, you have to both expend energy and do something hard. And so you have to Mm -hmm. overcome yourself and that's hard. Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah. Again, in this, in this current situation where we're all, there's a lot of fear, the flesh, I think rages, especially in, in moments of fear, because we want to just comfort ourselves. I find that for myself, like wanting to just have the immediate comfort of something. And so, um, our flesh is not going to want to press into God for comfort in the, in f- the moments of fear. No. Or ever, but especially. No, worship is almost never easy. Mm-hmm. And growing in devotion isn't easy. And so until you become stronger, the stronger you become, the easier it is. Just like after you go running for a couple of weeks, your body just doesn't bother com- arguing with you. You just mm-hmm. go do it and it's right. fine. Um, similarly, mm-hmm. if you start taking cold showers, like, yeah, your body will revolt neurologically for like three or four days, maybe a week. Mm-hmm. And that just stops. It just doesn't, mm-hmm. it doesn't have a strong reaction anymore. And so um, it, it's the cost of getting in shape is overcoming your body's rebellion for the first little while. And that is a real mm-hmm. thing when you're trying to do devotions because you just, your body doesn't want to do it, you know? Mm-hmm. And then the third thing is, um, is uh, just the uneasiness we have with coming to God in a real way. Like mm-hmm. on one level, we know we're approaching the living God. And when we do that, all of the little lies and pretensions that we have about mm-hmm. our lives are at risk. And it, it's don't underestimate how big a thing that is because most people will be like, oh, that's not a thing for me. I, well, whatever. Mm-hmm. Okay. You're just lying to yourself more. Okay. Everybody exists and functions in their lives with certain lies they believe about themselves. And to come to the God who is not impressed with any of them and for whom none of our lives work, all of our lives work 0% with him is terrifying. And so, um, and the more sober our soul is about approaching this kind of a God, the more terrifying it naturally is. And so we've got to recognize that about ourselves and realize that that's part of the cost of growing in devotion is recognizing that from God's perspective, if all he did was evaluate us morally, we would all be like a big damnable disappointment. Hmm. And instead we recognize that though that's true and he knows that about us, knows that about about us. He's demonstrated his love and care for us in Christ. He's given us his spirit. He who has given us Christ, how will he hold back from giving us all things? It says in Romans 8. And so it's, but he will tear down and tear away our pretensions and our, our lies and our self-deception. Mm-hmm. And there is a nakedness of soul involved in that that's very discomforting that we're going to face if we really turn to him. And that's hard. And so for those three mm-hmm. reasons, it's hard to just have devotions rather than not to mm-hmm. come to God rather than not coming to God. And it's important mm-hmm. to realize before, if you don't have a devotional time or you don't have a practice of devotion, that really is the biggest obstacle. If mm-hmm. you overcome these three things and you actually go to God and you have a devotional time, doing the going is the hardest part. Mm-hmm. And once you sit down and begin to read the Bible, I think it gets, a, it gets easier. 
that's my experience. Yeah, it does. It does. Um, and our, our bodies are set up for, for rhythms too. And I think you get into that a little bit in the next point about um, the hardest part of doing devotions um, is concentration and thought. And um, that can be aided by rhythms because our bodies just naturally want to do the same type of thing at certain times of the day. Yeah. Do you want to talk more about that? Yeah. Um, so sometimes I think we underestimate how hard it is for us to concentrate. We want to believe that we're smart people and that we concentrate well. And most people don't concentrate well at all. They don't. They can't concentrate another person when they're having a conversation with them. And a lot of people, their jobs aren't designed for a well-trained mind. So if you have a job where you have to be creative and productive and your job requires you to have a well-trained mind, then it may not be very hard for you to concentrate for 35 minutes or an hour and a half for a devotional time, right? If your job actually has no interest in a well-trained mind. Like your job is to like serve food at a restaurant or your job is to go through inventory or your job is all kinds of different things. Most jobs are not designed for a well-trained mind or nor do they enforce it. And so if your mind hasn't been in a, in a life stage where it needs to be well-trained for a while, it's hard to concentrate way harder mm-hmm. than you think it should be. And it's really embarrassing. Um, but the second hardest thing, once you actually sit down for your devotions, the next hardest thing is just concentration. Mm-hmm. So there's a few things that you can do just to try to make that easier. Mm-hmm. Right. I yeah. know you've, I've heard you talk about these before. Yeah. Um, well, I like a lot of people, you see the, the cliche, like coffee with your journal and devotional time, but mm-hmm. it does help. <laughs> there's, there's truth and, and helpfulness to that. So I do have coffee because usually mine are in the morning mm-hmm. and I need coffee well, yeah, it helps me. Um, and then journaling helps me focus. I journal my prayers after I, so I journal um, the scripture I read. I actually just kind of copy it into my journal usually mm-hmm. because that helps me remember what I read. Right. It's usually early in the morning. And then um, I also often journal my prayers. I have a prayer list to pray for people, but I also, um, journal my thoughts that I'm praying to God so that I cannot fall asleep or think about other things without noticing that I'm shifting my thoughts to that. Instead. Yeah. Especially if you're in a life stage where you don't get a lot of sleep, sometimes writing is the only way to stay awake. Mm-hmm. Um, and for some people drinking coffee or tea is just really the only way to even try. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. It, it's best if you just get a good night's sleep, wake up. Right. Your emotions. But, um, but yeah, so some of the things is like controlling your environment is really helpful. A lot of people succeed when they're doing their devotions. If they go to the same place every day, mm-hmm. it's an environment where they've minimized distractions. There's no screens there. There's nothing like that. There's just a light and a space. Um, some people have little rituals that they do. I mean, I know some people who like, they'll light a candle when they do their devotion mm-hmm. to symbolize that God is there with them or something like that. Um, they'll usually have some kind of stimulant like tea or coffee just as something that helps them engage. Um Oftentimes they'll do it early in the morning, partly because it's the quietest time in the house, but also they'll do it early in the morning because it's the most mental energy you're going to have today for most mm-hmm. people. Even if you're kind of a night person, like you like to stay up late, your mental energy and your clarity and focus still is usually best early in the morning, mm-hmm. right when you wake up. And yeah. so, and something I've noticed during this time where there's extra anxiety and fear, at least for me, 
personally, I've also started reading my Bible before bed and Mm -hmm. I have a devotional time in the morning where I'm praying more, but this is more just to calm myself before I go to sleep because at night you're tired, of course, um, but you've, you've used all the mental energy that you've needed throughout the day to um, focus on what you needed to focus on or not. You might have distracted yourself, I guess, too. But so it's easier for fear and anxiety to creep in at that time and to just kind of run away with that in your mind. So um, refocusing and reading the Bible for me at night for just a little bit. Like I just read a little passage before bed and it helps me Mm -hmm. sleep too. Yeah, I had a professor in seminary that asked us, um, do you ever read the Bible just because that's what you choose to read? You know, just for reading, for for pleasure and for um, knowledge, but not because like when you're doing a devotions, you, the focus of that time is to so engage with the Bible mm-hmm. as to engage with God so as to increase your devotion to him. That's why we call it devotional time, right? Mm-hmm. That's different than saying like, I've got 30 minutes in the evening here. I'm going to sit down. I'm going to read the Bible. And mm-hmm. it's because I want to understand its content better. I want to know it. I like reading the Bible. Um, sometimes we, we have to reawaken that. And I think reading the Bible before bed is good. I think choosing reading material before bed that will soothe the mind is a good thing. So right mm-hmm. now I'm reading through the Lord of the Rings again. Um, but I think reading the Bible, I've read the Bible at night at other times. Um, mm-hmm. I do think finding something edifying that is also soothing to read at night is good, you know, for the soul mm-hmm. and for devotion. Okay. Mm-hmm. So, so you already talked about journaling. I think journaling is very helpful mm-hmm. because it aids in concentration, but it also gives you continuity, right? So you can go mm-hmm. back and look what you wrote in the last week and the last month and the last year. I just mm-hmm. went through my prayer journal from 2010 to 2019. And that was really helpful wow. to be able to go through 10 years of praying and what God answered and how he answered what and what he didn't appear to answer in the way I wanted and how God had been active in the life of the church for 10 years. It was very, very encouraging. And it also, it also laid out for me what I should be bringing forward into the next 10 years. And so having a journal, if you are disciplined about it can be really helpful. Yeah. We're forgetful in what God has done in our own lives. And so that's really important to look back Mm -hmm. And see what he's done. Yeah. Okay. So in terms of the practice of concentration, what, what mm-hmm. I want to tell people is, um, listen, if you try to have a devotional time and you find that you have a hard time concentrating for more than five or 10 minutes, it's that's fine. So don't mm-hmm. think you're an idiot or stupid or a failure if that's the case. Just what I tell people is try to push yourself for about 30% longer than what comes natural, especially if that's under a half an hour, right? Mm-hmm. Just push yourself, like work at it after it's hard to concentrate. Mm-hmm. Push yourself to concentrate a little bit more for a little bit longer. Mm-hmm. And um, what happens is, is that your mind will, will get in shape for concentrating. And you might be like, Nick, you don't know how hard it is for me to concentrate. And I'm just going to tell you that a, a number of different doctors have diagnosed me with ADD. And concentration has always been difficult for me. And um, when I'm mentally in shape, I can concentrate for more than an hour. And when, I, when I'm mentally out of shape, it's hard for me to concentrate for three minutes. And so mm-hmm. there is an in-shapeness to the mind, a trainness of the mind that you can mm-hmm. develop, that even if your mind isn't given to concentration, you can train it for concentration. Mm-hmm. And the good news is, is that if you do this, devotions will make you smarter. Mm-hmm. They'll give you a well-trained mind. And the well-trained mind you won't only wield when you're doing devotions, but you'll use it for your whole life, for your discussions with people in your family and you're at work and all of that. And I have had a lot of people tell me that after they became a Christian 
and they were taught to do devotions. And they engaged in a kind of Christianity that had disciplined mental work in it, that they felt like they became dramatically smarter after mm-hmm. becoming a Christian. So I'm, I'm not saying that becoming a Christian makes you smarter. You're just smart if you become a Christian, because you can become a Christian in a kind of way that makes you dumber. But if you engage in spiritual devotion to pursue the wisdom of God, you will experience a development in having a well-trained mind, which will make you functionally smarter. And there's lots mm-hmm. of benefits to that, not mm-hmm. just devotional, which is the most, yeah. devo- the devotional benefits are the most important, but mm-hmm. there are other ones too. Yeah. I think we can expect concentration. We can all expect concentration difficulties because our diversions train us not to concentrate for long periods of time. So mm-hmm. don't be discouraged if it that's true for you. Just need to keep trying right. and pushing yourself. Yeah. Yeah. I think the, the, the biggest issues early on are just overcoming discouragements, mm-hmm. right? Devils and the flesh and your own self-doubt are going to lead to discouragement and you've, mm-hmm. you have to overcome that to get going. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I think we probably can move on to the third thing. Yes, I agree. So the first positive practice of actually doing devotions is to read God's word with open honesty. What do you mean by that when you write that? So if you can get yourself to actually do the devotions and then you get in a place where you can actually concentrate and you're working to concentrate, the next thing is how are you, how do you read the Bible? And the, and the, the short answer to that is with open honesty. Um, you have to be open to what the Bible is going to say to you, mm-hmm. not closed-mindedly assuming what the Bible must tell you. And you have to do it with honesty. You have to be honest about what it's saying and who you are. And it's in some ways, it's that simple. If you read the Bible with open honesty, God will teach you. And if you read it with smug dishonesty and self-righteousness, you will learn nothing. Even if you study mm-hmm. it for 35 years and get a PhD in it mm-hmm. and are thought a great Bible scholar, you will learn nothing devotionally from the scriptures. Mm-hmm. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it um, requires humility. Yeah. Yeah. And so one of the, one of the examples of this I give sometimes is when I, I'll read a passage with somebody, I'll say, okay, who do you identify with most in that story? And what I'm hoping the answer is going to be is the worst human character, right? So in the story of David and Goliath, everybody identifies with David. They're like, oh, damn, I'm like David. I would be like David. I'd go out there and I'd kill that Goliath with so much faith. No, actually, you're probably the Israelites who are too afraid to go out there. You are the brothers, David's brothers, who like abused him for even asking about it. Mm. Maybe you're Goliath and you hate God's people. I mean, like, it's mm. it's very unlikely. Um, or several of the various characters. Right, right. We yeah. have all of their vices, right? Yeah. In fact, one of the best ways to interpret the, a story is to go through all the villains in the story or all the people who aren't heroes and to say, how am I like this person? How am I like this person? Because mm-hmm. if, if you could go through all those and you could find a lot of reasons why you're like all these people, you know? Mm-hmm. So I mm-hmm. think that's because like, and then it allows you to realize that the person who is David in the story of David and Goliath is probably Jesus the Christ who goes mm-hmm. out and defeats the great enemy that everyone's afraid to fight and, and imputes victory to all who are present and the, all of the people of God and so on. Does that make sense? So mm-hmm. um, in the story of Cain and Abel, you should think that you're probably Cain, not Abel, right? Mm-hmm. That sort of thing. Does that make sense? Or yeah. if you know, yep. if you were with Adam and Eve, you probably would be the person yelling, "Don't eat that! Don't <laughs> eat that!" You'd be like, "Yeah, we should eat that. That's on. Yeah, 
That seems right. Yeah. 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 We should yeah. probably do it. The snake's making some good points here. You know, yeah. like that, that's how you got to think. And if you mm-hmm. don't, you're just going to think you're, you, you it, it, what it creates is this phenomenon where it's like you're looking over God's shoulder. Like he's the boss and you're like his attache. And he's like, mm-hmm. oh, these sinful humans. And you're like, I know, God, they're just not like us at all. And it's, it's, it's bad. You don't want that. So I think reading with the kind of honesty that where you, we tremble at God's word, we know that he's going to contradict us. We know it's going to be embarrassing. We know it's going to strip away our protective beliefs about ourselves. Um, but it's really mm-hmm. loving. One of these I also wrote in the pre-blog was, you know, like Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John were written after the apostles had become famous, great heroes of the Christian faith. Mm-hmm. And yet when they, when they transmitted the stories about their life with Jesus, they still put themselves in as the goats, you know, as the dummies, as the, mm-hmm. as the sinners of those mm-hmm. stories. And they made themselves look bad on purpose One, because that was how they behaved in those days before they really understood the gospel entirely, but also because they wanted people to identify with their weakness so Mm -hmm. they could see Christ's greatness. Mm -hmm. And if the apostles were willing to do that, then we certainly should read like that, I think. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's important. Yep. All right. Anything else you want to say about that? So many things, but I think that's enough for now. Okay. So what are some basic techniques if someone, if, so if you're new to this and you've never done it before, or you want to try something new, what would you suggest? Yeah. So the first is that if you don't have a very readable translation of the Bible, you need to get one. Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. What would you define as very readable? So uh, for example, I don't have anything against the King James version, but it was written in 1611, and English yeah. was different then. Yep. And most people struggle with that kind of English, and because it, technically it's a different language, right? Mm-hmm. It, the, lang- the the words in the structure of the English language has changed sufficiently that a lot of people find it incomprehensible, and that's not weird. Mm-hmm. So in the English language, there's tons of great translations: NIV, ESV, NET, Holman Christian Standard Bible, HCSB. Did you say NAT? I've never heard of that one. NET, the new English translation. Yeah, that was out of Dallas Seminary. It has a lot of notes in it, translation notes in it. And it's just, it's a good all around translation. Mm -hmm. It's good good as anything else. And it's easier to get. It's on a lot of free stuff, but it's a great Mm -hmm. translation. Mm -hmm. There are some. Standard Bible. Yeah. There are some uh, technically very readable translations of the Bible, though, that aren't literal. Could, do you want to talk about some of those? Yeah, so there's so some translations are meant to be kind of word for wordish, and then other translations yeah. are meant to like capture the general meaning of a sentence. Those are called dynamic equivalents or freer tra- translations. Mm-hmm. So the New Living Translation, for example, is a dynamic equivalent or freer translation. So you don't want to read the New Living Translation and say, "Oh, you see that one word there? Well, that's got to mean this. Therefore, God says such and such," because that's really mm-hmm. not how that's translated. Whereas with the New American mm-hmm. Standard Bible, that's a very literal translation, for example. It's much easier mm-hmm. to do that with that Bible because those words are designed to be as, as literal word for word from the Greek as, as possible or Hebrew, mm-hmm. depending on the, the testament you're in. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. yeah. So, the, so for somebody who has a hard time reading the Bible, some of those people do really well with free translations like the New Living Translation. Mm-hmm. Um, but mm-hmm. then when people want to really study verses and like get in there mm-hmm. and like – really figure out what's happening in there, then you want to get it moved towards a more literal translation, like the English mm-hmm. standard version or the new American mm-hmm. standard Bible or something like that. Mm-hmm. And then a lot of people that's just right. buy something that's kind of in between. 
the NIV is kind of yeah. in between translation. The Holman Christian Standard Bible is kind of an in between translation. Mm-hmm. You know, the NET yeah. is kind of in between. For me, um, I've just I've been a Christian for a while, and so the NIV I would read it and just not like not. It wouldn't go in my head anymore because I've just heard the words so many times before. Mm-hmm. And so something that's been helpful to me is to read or the ESV similar uh, situation. So I got an NLT translation and I read the NIV or N- or ESV and I also read the NLT just to help me think about it again in yeah. a different wording. That helped right. me a lot. Yeah. Yeah. And especially if you're going to have a Bible that you just sit down and read through longer portions, a freer translation usually is easier to do that with. So mm-hmm. some, one of the great things about the NLT was when that first came out, there were a lot of people who just read right through the whole Bible. Mm-hmm. They were able to read a large, large volume of scripture. Um, in the, and freer translations are great for that. But then when you want to get down and break down verses, you want something more, more literal. But also, yeah, yeah familiarity can breed contempt and moving to a different translation mm-hmm. can be helpful for that too. Mm-hmm. Okay, so the second thing, yeah. the second thing is that I usually do not encourage people to read straight through the Bible. Mm-hmm. The Book of Genesis is exciting. Um, there's a lot of fencing, fighting, true love, and giants, and so on. To quote the Princess Bride, there's a lot of exciting things in it. However, once you get through Genesis and you get into Exodus, the first twenty chapters of Exodus are exciting, but then you hit the law, and the law can be very puzzling for people. And if you get through the rest mm-hmm. of Exodus, you get right into Leviticus, which is all the laws related to the sacrificial system and the priestly class of the Levites. And mm-hmm. so a lot of people stall there. They start reading about red and green mold and stuff. And they're like, "Wow, I don't even know what this is. Mm-hmm. And so what I tell people is, look, if you want to read through Genesis in the first half of Exodus and you're finding it exciting and you're moving along and it's going well, then great. God bless you. Do that. But when, when you start to stall, don't just close up the Bible. That's very mm-hmm. a very predictable event. And just go read another part. So I heard somebody say one time, and I think this is pretty accurate, that the Bible is kind of like a library. It's not a book. It's all these mm-hmm. different books that are that fall into one true, complete story of what God has done, but they are legitimately different works. And so if you're struggling with Leviticus, well, then jump ahead. I think for most people, mm-hmm. starting in one of the Gospels in the mm-hmm. New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John. But if you've never read the Bible before, starting two-thirds of the way through the book seems weird. Mm-hmm. But it's exactly what yeah. you should do. You know? Yeah. And I do want to say, if you have read the Bible a good amount and haven't read some of those more difficult books, you can do it. Mm-hmm. And there's commentaries and there's everyone makes fun of Leviticus, but it is worth reading because it's in the Bible. Yeah. So at I some love point, the book of Leviticus. Yeah, me I, too. I, me too. Don't worry. I think it's, and I mm-hmm. think that there are other parts of the Bible that you think you understand, but you don't right. really understand until you've understood Leviticus. Right. But yeah. I do understand that people get bogged down in it. And I, yes. that actually happened to me when I first accepted Jesus for the first time. I think I was in fifth or sixth grade. And my mom bought me a King James Bible from the Price Chopper grocery store for me to read because I came home from Christian camp thinking I should read the Bible. And I read right through to Leviticus and stalled. And then my second year in college, when I was a Christian camp counselor, I had an hour a day to do devotions. And I was like, I've never read this Leviticus book. I'm going to read it. And I mm-hmm. found it fascinating. Mm-hmm. I was so fascinated and I'd never read it before. So it was exciting. And mm-hmm. so two different times in my life, I had completely different reactions to the book. Right. So right. I think once you, the more you read of the Bible, you know, there's background knowledge you don't have. Mm-hmm. And you're like, I want some of this background knowledge. And you go to Leviticus or Numbers or Deuteronomy then and reread mm-hmm. those books. And they're fascinating, I think. Yeah. Anyway. Yes. Yeah. So reading the Bible in sections, you recommend that? Yeah. Those, 
are the subheadings that you would find in the the right. ways the chapters are broken up. Right. Like distinct stories and so on. Mm-hmm. Right. In the Gospels, it's easier because there's like the sections are pretty clear. Um, in the epistles, which are the letters in the in the second half of the New Testament, mm-hmm. those are usually they have like a sustained argument all the way through, mm-hmm. but you can still break them down into portions. But the, mm-hmm. but the reason why I say this is that the, this is the opposite of just reading along until you hit a verse that quote speaks to you, and then mm-hmm. you like pull that verse out of its context and it becomes its mm-hmm. own thing, and then you like repeat it or you write it or you journal about it or whatever. Mm-hmm. And the problem is, is that it's pretty unlikely you're going to misunderstand that verse. If you mm-hmm. don't read it and situate it in the section it's from, you know mm-hmm. what I mean. The more you read around the verse and understand the whole section, the more you, you more likely are to understand what the what that particular passage actually really means. Mm-hmm. Yeah, does that make sense? That's good and because the Bible isn't really designed to speak in like verses, like one verse here, one verse there. Just like when we write a letter, we don't expect people to take portions of sentences out and like memorize them and write them on their fridge. Like we, we write a sustained message. And so right. reading the Bible like it's a sustained message helps us to understand it a lot better. Mm-hmm. That makes sense. Yep. All right. Next, don't get upset if you don't understand it 100%. Yeah. Or understand 100% of what you're reading. Yeah. So, so if you read a portion of the Bible, you know there's more going on there than you see and understand. But that's not the point. The point is, did you get anything out of it? Like it, maybe you understood 5% of it, but you really understood 5% of it. And that told you something about you and your life and God. Then mm-hmm. rejoice and be glad and thank God for it and journal about it and pray about it and then go obey it. Mm-hmm. And then the next time you come back and you read the same thing, you'll understand 15% of it or 30% of it. You've got the whole, your whole life to understand the Bible. You don't have to understand everything the first time. The point mm-hmm. of devotionals is to get something and for that something to be cherished by you and for it to increase your devotion. Mm-hmm. That's the point. Not to understand the Bible perfectly. Mm-hmm. I understand. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, all right. Almost every detail matters. Yeah, number five. Almost every detail matters. Just It's important to remember, people will go to read the Bible because they say, well, I'm lo- doing something spiritual, so I'm going to read the Bible for spiritual content. And that's that's a bad idea. I know it sounds right. But the problem is, is that the spiritual truths are embedded in everything that's written in the Bible. So if you just look for the spiritual point, you'll almost mm-hmm. always misunderstand it because the spiritual point is framed by all these other details in the text. There's no mm-hmm. throwaway stuff in the text. These mm-hmm. texts are very lean and mean. Everything that's in them is in there for a reason. And so pay attention to every detail. And the, if you do, when you get to the verse that really, quote, speaks to you, you'll understand its context better and you'll understand it more deeply. Mm-hmm. And it, it's much, much less likely you'll misunderstand it. Yeah. Uh, and off of that, before you read, pray and ask God to open up some truth to you. Yeah. Because the, the Holy Spirit helps us interpret the scriptures primarily. I mean, there's there's commentaries and all these other people who can help us too. But the word promises that the Holy Spirit is there to help us with that. Yeah. yeah, if you're listening and wondering why there aren't more sagacious sayings coming out of Jill, she is doing a great job <laughs> keeping this baby quiet. Jovi is is playing ball. Um, so, yeah, so it's, it's okay, Jill. Yeah, so Thank you. Um, yeah, so it's important to be to, to when you sit down for devotions, you're not just interacting with the book you're reading. 
you're also interacting with the Lord as he'll teach you through his spirit. Right. So it's important mm-hmm. to have that attitude and to make that explicit in prayer before you start. Yes. Right. All right. Um, what's the next one? Seven. I find it helpful to write down, so Nick is talking here. You find it helpful to write down the main thing that you're taking away from what you read. So is that in a journal? Is that how you do that? Yeah, I normally do that in some kind of journal. You can just get kind of a notebook. I think it's helpful to read what you read, mm-hmm. feel it, try to understand it, think about it for three, four, five minutes until you're like, yes, I know what this is saying. And then I like mm-hmm. to journal for about 10 minutes about what it's mm-hmm. saying. And then I like to think about what I just wrote for five minutes. Mm-hmm. And then I yeah. like to pray based on what I just learned. Mm-hmm. And That's I good. think that basic practice of like reading a text of the Bible, trying to understand it, thinking about it, writing down what you think you understood, and then thinking mm-hmm. about what you just wrote down and understood, and then praying mm-hmm. that through is mm-hmm. just, a, I, I found that to be a very helpful way to do a devotional time. And very simple. Yeah. You might have heard of observe, interpret, and apply, and that's similar. Like observing what's in the text, trying to interpret it, thinking of a way that it applies to your life, and then praying. I like the praying part as well that you added. That's not in that acronym, but that's good. Um, Eight, have someone with whom you regularly share what you are learning. Yeah, and preferably someone further along in the faith than you and in studying Mm -hmm. the Bible. I, th- I think as you do that, one, you're checking, getting your, your work checked. You know, somebody's like, yep, that's what right. that means. Yep, that's what that's meant, right? But you're also just, you're sharing it. So you're repeating it and, and um, you're reviewing it, what you, what you mm-hmm. learned. And you're also encouraging them if you've come up with something that they haven't seen. And, and yeah. then that person can help ask you if you're actually obeying or applying or, or making operational what you're learning, which is very important. If you learn something, mm-hmm. And then don't apply it. That actually hurts you rather than helps you. Mm-hmm. It'd be better if you'd never learned it in the first place. Mm-hmm. And you you say here that um, preferably someone further along in the faith, but I would also say just in case this isn't the case, but someone in a different generation, because there can be some groupthink and like cultural reading that we can put onto the text that isn't what the text means. And that's broken really easily just by talking to people with different perspectives than you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. All right. Nine, check out a Bible study class or book. Yeah. I don't encourage people to do this right away. Um, I, I wouldn't say read a book about reading the Bible before you read the Bible. Um, so I would say read the Bible a little while first and then go and learn from somebody or read something. And I think that you'll learn a lot more if you've already got some prior experience with the Bible. So, I, yeah. but I do think after you read the Bible for a while, reading a book about the Bible or going to Bible study class to learn the techniques of studying the Bible, the principles of interpretation can be very helpful. Yeah, that's good. All right. And then 10, obey whatever you learn. God has no incentive to teach you what you are unwilling to do. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think knowledge of God is in some sense um, an end in itself and that it grows our devotion, helps us in our understanding. But ultimately, you know, we're called to live lives of active love. I think studying the scriptures has to lead you to things that you're going to do. Um, mm-hmm. And if you do them, then you'll, th- you'll think about them in completely different ways. There's stuff you learn about mm-hmm. God by studying the scriptures, but then there's stuff you learn about God by doing what he says in real life, in real time. And mm-hmm. both of those teach you about God and both of those can lead to deeper devotions. And both of those can lead to a deeper relationship with God and, mm-hmm. and transforming ourselves. So I think, I think that it is foolish to think that you can 
learn about God, not obey him, and think that he's going to have a vibrant relationship of teaching you spiritually mm. through devotions. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, sense? that's good. Anything else, Nick, that you want to talk about? I mean, I think this is, a, this is a good start. You know, I yeah. think that what I want to encourage people to do is to take time while they're quarantined and shut off the TV and get rid of all mm-hmm. distractions and spend some time reading the Bible mm-hmm. and grappling with the Lord and what he wants to teach us about the truth. Mm-hmm. And in so doing, I think that we can um, come back out of this quarantine spiritually stronger and having really profited and grown from it. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah. I, th- I think that I think that we should we should try to make we should predecide every week how we're going to do these things for right. our good instead of letting this time make us weak and flabby and sick and um, foolish. Mm-hmm. We could grow in our faith. We could get some exercise. We could get the kind of sleep that we should be getting, and we could come out of this a lot healthier than we went mm-hmm. in. We could we could be a nation that just had a sabbatical rather right. than a nation yeah. that just was ravaged by a pandemic. Yeah, that was not me. That was my, that was Joby. <laughs> um, but I agree with what you're saying. And I, I, that peace that will come from that will be fruitful and noticeable, I think, to the people around us who are still really afraid. And so as we've talked a lot about this as a church so far, but in the week that we've had so far, but um, making sure to love your neighbor and find ways to do that right now. But the peace that you have in your soul and the readiness uh, for the gospel that is in your heart will be really noticeable to them during this time if this is what you're doing with your time. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, I guess that's it for today. Even though Joby is just now starting to guest star, um, it's probably <laughs> best to wrap it up. Yep. Yep. We'll be, in t- we'll be in touch with more resources we with for families, devotionals, and for personal devotionals. So we're trying to figure all that out. And thank you for your grace as <laughs> my baby's crying and we're figuring out new ways to do ministry. But, all yeah. right. We'll see you guys next time. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Engage and Equip podcast. If you have a podcast idea or a question you'd like answered on the podcast, send us an email at podcast at highpointchurch.org. If you'd like to find more episodes, you can go online to highpointchurch.org slash podcast. You can also find us on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Overcast, and other apps like that. We hope this episode was helpful to you as you grow in becoming a more substantive disciple and a part of the local church. If this episode was helpful to you, rate or review us on Apple Podcasts or share this episode with a friend. Those are some of the best ways we have to reach new listeners. Until next time, thanks for listening to this episode of Engage and Equip.